listening to a podcast from The National. We are in full swing as far as earnings seasons goes. We've had some great and interesting and intriguing results from the second quarter from UAE and wider regional corporates as well. Uh, later in the episode, we're going to have the trucking CEO, Junar Dan Dalmia. We'll talk about enabling logistics in a digital manner. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, and joining us is Chris Nelson, Assistant Business Editor. Good afternoon. Chris, let's run through some of the uh, finer points of the earnings this week. Yeah, um, I think the standout uh, sectors um, thus far uh, are the financial sectors. Um, we had uh, we started with FAB uh, second quarter net profit up nineteen percent uh, on lower costs primarily and uh, smashing through estimates. Um, a result that surely vindicates the decision last year of First Gulf Bank and National Bank of Abu Dhabi to merge to create um, what is now a, a pretty much a, a financial behemoth in the region, uh, FAB. It's proved remarkably quickly that uh, that was a very smart move. Um, 19% is, is, you know, that's a real surge. Um, but it was followed by other banks in the region. Um, Saudi British Bank, which is HSBC's, HSBC's unit in the kingdom, which is also seeking a merger with, uh, with a Saudi rival, um, Alawal Bank. Um, SABB, as Saudi British Bank is known, reported 26.8% year-on-year rise in the second quarter, uh, also beating analyst estimates. And while RAK Bank um, it was basically flat for the quarterly uh, net profit, it still beat EFG Hermes's forecast. Um, further afield, Q8 Finance House also reported a 19% rise in second quarter profit. So I think what these um, results illustrate is a combination of things. Obviously, the re- recovery of oil prices has, has filtered in. Um, and also, obviously, the rate rise has, has helped lenders um, in, in that uh, sense. But also, I think there's been a sea change in attitude, particularly in this country, with regards to um, the financing of what is seen to be a, a very important part of, the, of economic growth, startups, SMEs, small businesses, because it, until relatively recently, it was definitely, you know, if you borrow money to start a business and it fails, you're in very deep trouble. And indeed, a lot of banks suffered because people literally fled rather than leaving banks with uh, with billions of dollars of debt. Changes in, in um, regulations um, and and more specifically in the attitude that in order to to grow and develop a healthy SME economy, you have to have built in that failure is a part of success. And uh, I think that's showing. Interesting. Um, there, there, certainly there have been changes to the, the rules in terms of uh, if a business fails, bankruptcy rules. Um, they're no longer... Uh, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, treating um, the non-fraudulent bouncing of a check as a as a kind of criminal offence, or at least they're not in practice trying to jail people. They're looking at mm-hmm. fines. They're looking at working through things. So certainly, it's, the business environment's become a bit more benign. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably too early, uh, definitely too early to see in second quarter numbers. But you, a lot of reforms in the last few months, um, uh, stimulus, fifty billion stimulus yeah, uh, in yeah, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Uh, so the environment is looking good. I mean, as you quite rightly say, there's there's a few different stories in the banking sector. Uh, what were FGB, First Gulf Bank, and National Bank of Abu Dhabi that merged to to be you mm-hmm. know FAB, FAB? Mm-hmm. Um, they've obviously found synergies. Mm-hmm. They've managed to offload some unnecessary costs. Yeah. 
to a certain extent, that's always the first phase of any merger. Mm-hmm. Not everyone successfully no, manages to, to do no. that. So there's a certain amount of, of, of uh, an accomplishment there, which I'm sure shareholders will mm-hmm. reward. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can then use this as a position of strength mm-hmm. to grow their business over mm-hmm. the next couple of years. I mean, their tagline is, is grow stronger. So, yeah. you know, they've yeah. got to do it. Yeah, basically. absolutely. And they're starting from, from a strong base. I mean, they operate in, in I think more than 19 countries now. Um, and if you, if you look at them and the, the sector in general, um, Arabian banking, uh, S&P Global Ratings this week gave 19 of the 24 Arabian banks it covers uh, a stable outlook. That is primarily uh, because lenders continue to, to generate sufficient returns to cover the risks, uh, S&P says. Um, so that reveals that the, the, the sector is, is healthy right through to root. Um, well, th- this, we had we had a, a Stuart Jones in here um, recently who was talking about the, there's many different ways to measure risk mm-hmm. uh, with his new company. And if you look at what's going on in Europe with the political risk, with Brexit, with the issues with immigration, mm-hmm. with the, the rise of the far right, um, even though this region has its own issues going on, we have the ongoing Qatar crisis, mm-hmm. we have conflicts um, in Yemen elsewhere. Uh, there still seems that the risk, the, the, in comparison, uh, there's there's very little risk here mm-hmm. in, in business terms, in corporate terms. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, the banking sector has been through probably the the, the, the most difficult aspect, which was the fall in oil prices, yeah. which, yeah. as you quite rightly said, was linked to a failure of a lot of businesses in the SME space. Mm-hmm. If we've been through an unwinding of that, if we've been through some of the worst of it, and perhaps perhaps the second quarter results indicate we have been through the worst mm-hmm. of it. You know, the famous bottoming out, yeah. and yeah. we finally bottomed, yeah. um, and and beginning to to pick up. Yeah. Um, it would be it would be nice to think that. Yeah. Um, in in another sector, the telecom sector, uh, Etisalat's results came out yesterday. The mm-hmm. UAE telecoms operator, mm-hmm. uh, an increase in in net profit for the second mm-hmm. quarter. Revenues were up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they they said as lower impairments. They've mm-hmm. had their own issues with mm-hmm. uh, their unit in Saudi, mobily, um, but also they they've lowered capital expenditure. Mm-hmm. They think they went through a period of high expenditure when they were beefing up their network. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, I mean, year on year, I mean, this hasn't changed since the first quarter, but their subscriber numbers are up 4% since last year. Um, it seemed pretty healthy. Do their rival uh, recently also reported profit up, not as much. Mm. Um, but it, it seems if, if telecoms is a bellwether of the overall economy, then maybe we can tie that together with um, with what banking's doing mm-hmm. and where oil prices are at. And yeah. we can kind of say one plus one equals two, yeah. um, hopefully. And it means that we, we have seen the worst of it and we're beginning to mm-hmm. recover, which, mm-hmm. as you said, if you're a small business owner, you're investing in a startup, can only be good news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting you're talking about Etisalat. I mean, obviously, we have coming through the 5G rollout. Um, there was an interesting uh, report done recently uh, on the basis of data provided by a U.S. company called Ookla, which showed that despite what you might think, um, Apple iPhones, including the Apple X, uh, their download speeds are significantly less, slower than um, equivalents from Samsung and Google. Um, now, that hasn't impacted sales whatsoever as yet, but when, F- when 5G does come in, it may well cause people to consider download speeds much more than they probably do so now, which will be interesting when it rolls out across here, what we see um, so, so, sales are like here. So forgive me, but just so I understand it, some devices are faster at, 
uh, essentially helping you browse the internet. Than yeah, others. download a video or something like that. It's much quicker and it's much crisper, and uh, you don't have to wait as long to do it. Um, and Samsung and uh, Google phones, equivalent to the iPhone uh, versions, including the X, are significantly quicker. And that's by a company called Ookla, who... Um, who, won't run, be, who won't be getting a Christmas card from Apple this no, year. No, they won't, no. They run hundreds of thousands of tests. Um, in fact, they've run something like uh, a billion tests uh, across a wide range of, of users. And it's user, uh, it's an app that's, that's user-based. Uh, it's not them. They don't have an axe to grind specifically. It's, it's simple data uh, that they produce. Um, but that could have an, in, an impact on the way the region's... Um, the sales in the regions of those particular brands is affected over the next 12 months, I think. More Business Extra in just a moment, but first allow me to point out our other programming, such as Beyond the Headlines, which looks at the biggest news from a Middle Eastern point of view, and from our esteemed sports desk, Extra Time, where you get to hear about the Premier League and more. Download those and listen to all our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your audio content. So you're listening to uh, Chris Nelson and myself um, going through some of the biggest stories of the week in the business space. Uh, we just sort of wrapped up the uh, bigger second quarter earnings or the more significant ones. Uh, we did have uh, some pretty big developments, regionally speaking, uh, here in the capital, uh, where our newsroom is, uh, when the Eritrean and Ethiopian leaders dropped by uh, to have some talks, um, which was pretty significant. About two weeks ago, um, those countries finally ended years of conflict July 9th, uh, with, yeah. with a peace deal. Um, uh, the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed and Eritrea's President Isaias Afwerki uh, met with uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, who's the Abu Dhabi Crown Prince and also Supreme uh, Deputy Supreme Commander of the Armed Forces. Uh, at the Presidential Palace, um, they were awarded um, the highest civilian honor, uh, but also then they, they had a kind of summit. Mm. Um, and this is interesting from an economic business point of view because the Horn of Africa um, is a key uh, trade area, um, a lot of close links with the UAE. So the on the immediately for the economies of both Eritrea and Ethiopia, this is a good thing. There's a boost. There's a bit of an refugee crisis regarding Eritrea. Mm -hmm. There's some hope that could be resolved. Mm -hmm. But all kinds of new links are being reestablished between those two countries, like commercial air links, yeah, for example, yeah. and trade. Um, so you sh we should see a pickup, right? It should, it should have a significant uh, impact. Um, and it seems from, from, although it's early days, of course, it seems that both leaders are really absolutely committed to, to um, making this work and to finish uh, a 20-year war, which destroyed Eritrea economically and, and severely impacted uh, Ethiopia. Um, there was an almost immediate economic benefit for um, for Eritrea, where uh, the Canadian resource conglomerate London, which had Lundin, which had been um, involved in talks with the board of uh, the um, majority owner of uh, a very large gold and copper producer there, the Bisha Mine, um, had been in talks for ages about making an offer, and these had rumbled on. Well. As soon as, literally, as soon as this peace accord was signed, uh, London said, "Right, we're not going to talk to the board anymore. We're going to go straight to the shareholders with an all-cash offer immediately." Um, so they feel absolutely confident that uh, not only can they buy this uh, mine, which is significant because it, according to the World Bank, provides ten percent of Eritrea's GDP. So it's a big operation. But the fact that they were prepared to to flip so quickly, I think, gives an idea that this is. 
a significant economic um, development in in the uh, in that area. Um, I think from the point of view of the refugees as well. I mean, they were, as far as I recall, I think the largest single uh, source of refugees to the north of uh, of, of the hemisphere to to uh, Europe. And now that's been going on over 20, primarily because the conscription was so brutal in Eritrea. It's a much smaller company to fight the, the might that the Egyptian military had, relatively speaking. They had to force conscription, and it was brutal. And a lot of people decided to flee rather than risk it. Now, if they've been over there 10, 15, 20 years, they'll have been educated in the West. They will presumably have picked up a load of skills in the West. And if it's safe for them to come back, that's going to be quite a significant boost one would have thought for the, for the economic brain yeah, drain yeah absolutely but the comeback skilled up already um, we also saw the um, you know recently that the UAE had stepped in with an 11 billion uh, dirham uh, funding bridge for the Ethiopians as well so um, the, the UAE has been heavily involved in, in, in supporting both sides um, to kind of achieve this and the, the landmark talks being in Abu Dhabi uh, this week is sort of tantamount to that but more broadly and, and we were discussing this before we started recording that there is a sort of direct trade link between the UAE and which is that you've got DP World the ports operator that has you know several terminals in the area and they've got one particular issue with the government of Djibouti mm. which kind of sits n right next to those Stuck countries in the middle of them now, really, yeah. yeah and yeah. and they they were probably benefiting from the problems between Ethiopia and Eritrea in terms of trade and and recently they had pushed DP World out of their terminal. Yeah. Um, the Dere they, were, they were the operators of the terminal at um, uh, Dorella. Dorella, that's uh, it, yeah. In, in the capital. And I think there were some reports they're saying that they might offer DP World like half a billion dollars to, is a sort of golden goodbye. Yeah, well, the, um, Djibouti took back control of uh, the facility in February and, and basically cancelled the contract, which DP World said uh, was illegal and DP World began court proceedings at the International Arbitration Court in London. Um, however, with with this uh, peace accord, we could you could imagine quite quite easily that DP World are now thinking, do you know what? Okay, we'll still push for a fiscal recompense, but actually wanting to go back and take control of it again, it might be now that Eritrea is a much more attractive proposition. It has a much bigger Red Sea coastline. Um, it's directly linked to Ethiopia. Uh, it would provide um, access uh, to markets such as Chad, um, Niger, and further out west, you know, to Mali, where in fact today, DP World announced it was building a huge logistics and cargo facility uh, in the capital of Mali. So it could well be that Djibouti finds itself uh, kicking its heels uh, after this as a result of this peace accord. Well, um Again, this is sort of the wider issue. There's a lot of opportunity in Africa, but but equally there is, you know, quite a few challenges and obstacles, not least within the continent itself. A myriad of different markets. They don't all operate the same way. Lots of different rules, regulations, governments, but infrastructure not necessarily the strong suit 
uh, there. Um, you can build up terminals. That's important uh, on coastlines, um, you know, where trade is coming in, but then actually getting the goods physically to and from the ports in the interior of the country or the continent is hard. Now, I know, Chris, you did an interview with um, the CEO of a company called Truckin. That's correct. Which is a yeah. logistics, yeah. Uh, digital logistics enabler, right? They yeah. don't want to be a disruptor. Not a disruptor, no. Okay, no, which, no, is, the, which is refreshing. CEO, absolutely. It was it was a very refreshing take on it. And and um, as as in Africa, um, the, yes, of course, infrastructure needs to be built. But infra, to build infrastructure takes a lot of time. Now, what a company like Trucking could do and indeed is doing um, not in Africa as yet, but uh, the opportunity would be there, presumably. They're in the UAE at the moment. They're a UAE-based startup, yeah. Um, but they have expanded uh, somewhat since they were formed in 2017. Um, what it does is it brings together what has been, until re- recently, a very fragmented sector. You know, you, you have you know, small companies operating two or three trucks with a few drivers in a kind of like loads of kind of bubbles of, of traders kind of operating with their own thing. Um, and what this company has done has provided an umbrella, really, a platform through which all of these things can connect much more easily, much more directly, uh, th- much more cost efficiently and time efficiently. Um, it's very interesting. Well, let's listen to uh, your conversation with the trucking CEO. Uh, JD, I wonder first, could you tell us, uh, give us a brief outline of what trucking is and how it works? Yeah, hi, Christian. Uh, so Truckin is a technologistic platform whereby we provide a full-scale commercial land transportation service. And we want to uh, complement it with the help of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to rejig how commercial transport was done, uh, which was a very old school way. There was literally no innovation in that mm-hmm. sphere for the last you know few decades. And the world is moving fast towards, you know, um, technology advancements, digitalization. And we want to complement that and make the whole system much more efficient. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it was that uh, logistics and, and, you know, trucking, shipping, haulage, why was that sort of so late to the tech party? I mean, obviously, from a point of view of electrification, you can see that that trucks, it was impractical to build an electric truck until the battery technology became uh, made it become um, feasible, but but the actual technological side of, of you know the 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 ordering and and bookkeeping and um, you know that kind of aspect of it. Why was that so late coming to the ta- the tech table? Look, I think things have been evolving, you know, over the last few years, and the first to the party was I think you know business to consumer markets, mm-hmm. right and. Uh, it's only in the last like seven to eight years when we are really seeing, uh, you know, how fast these things are growing. So first, people generally kind of tend to go after and solving much more simpler things like, mm-hmm. you know, business to consumer markets. Mm-hmm. And business to business market is um, is a pretty large, complicated market. And, uh, you know, that's why I guess once people, you know, were done through B2C, a lot of learnings have happened, you know, mm-hmm. throughout that process as well. And um, if you see globally, there are multiple startups now trying to reinvent how, you know, commercial logistics is done. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very, very timely um, as to what we are also doing mm-hmm. at the moment uh, that this, these things will 
you know mm. come into place and will evolve mm-hmm. so with with trucking what i guess what happens is 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 that it it links those elements that were perhaps um traditionally standalone you know the 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 hauliers the the company that needs their goods um shipping and the um the bookkeeping relevance of both those things is that is that effectively what it does knit those together under one umbrella platform look i would i would paint it in a slightly much more i would look at it a much more broader way mm-hmm. you know L- commercial logistics um you know has been a very highly fragmented business you know mm-hmm. a very disorganized sector obviously there have been you know large players mid-sized players small players there have been like thousands of brokers mm-hmm. and you know thousands and thousands of independent truck drivers mm. so the whole market has been a very you know fragmented way of approaching things um and and over time uh, as you would see in any other industry people are starting to focus on their core you know and leave the rest of the business to someone else mm-hmm. who can do that better mm-hmm. than themselves mm-hmm. so here we are talking about the service right so owning a fleet is one aspect of the logistics shipping is one aspect of the logistics but then providing the service is another aspect mm-hmm. right and here we are trying to focus on providing that service end to end in a in a much more professional manner and and when we look at both sides of the equation where mm-hmm. one side is the shipper and one side is a transporter our ideas are always to kind of develop and evolve into something which could be beneficial for both the the transporter as well as the in the shipper mm-hmm. and that's where i think truck and fits in you mm-hmm. know um, you know cutting through both the layers and really creating a very credible scalable highly networked mm-hmm. platform easy to use platform yes. yeah um trucking was only launched uh, last year about this time last year um and already um you know you you you've got 5000 heavy cargo truck movements occurring across the gct now that obviously um shows that uh, um the scalability is there and it's obviously attracted um other investors apart from those who set up in the first place um saudi arabia's batik investment and um and logistics co being being um being one of them what what do you think it is that that um, batik saw in trucking that um that that pushed them to to make a major investment in trucking sure so you know we we touched 5000 milestone you know fairly recently in fact as we speak we just finished 6000 you okay. know heavy truck uh, cargo movements which uh, you know is a testament by itself mm-hmm. you know because moving heavy truck movements and 6000 of those requires a lot of you know a faith in what we are doing mm-hmm. so companies is that monthly uh, no it's like year to date, year to date uh, yeah. basically business till date i okay. would say sorry yeah. uh but you know we are still scratching the surface because sure. the market is so big yeah. uh, in the gcc that you know there's on you know one could only go north from here if we provide a great service now batik has been you know one of our initial uh, backers mm-hmm. i would say they are obviously a public listed company a pretty large logistic company by themselves you know they have securities business they have warehousing etc so a very solid uh, you know a very capable company out of saudi arabia and uh, being an initial backer you know i believe what they saw in us was and they themselves being in logistics business that how fast a company like us can evolve uh, you know we are really trying to um, you know address 
or solve mm. certain disorganized uh, problem, uh, disorganized uh, you know way of functioning mm. in the logistics. Uh, and this is the future, right? So it it only makes sense for you know people who are from within the industry and who understand how these things work mm-hmm. to kind of you know take a bet on us. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, since they were one of the initial backers into us and they saw the traction and the evolution which we kind of proved by not only operating in a single jurisdiction, by already operating in a multi-jurisdiction environment mm-hmm. in the first year of our mm-hmm. operation, mm-hmm. kind of proved you know kind of gave them the faith to continue the association with us as mm-hmm. we look to scale further. Mm-hmm. So we are very excited and we are very honored, you know, to have Bathic, a very reputable name, uh, as one of our partners mm-hmm. into the business. And they've, they've, uh, they've presumably na- have now increased that uh, That, that is correct, yes, yeah. correct. And um, have you been shown interest from other major uh, companies of that ilk um, across the GCC, Do you, or are you targeting others? No, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we pretty much get, you know, one or two calls on a very regular basis because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone's looking at this sector mm-hmm. and uh, we do get calls from everyone. We want to be, you know, careful in terms of who we choose as our partners because it's like marrying, <laughs> uh, you know, someone who mm-hmm. you would be working with, mm-hmm. you know, throughout uh, in this journey. So you obviously want to ensure that, you know, they kind of share the same vision as we have Mm -hmm. and who would be able to contribute in various ways, not just financially, but from the learnings, from, you know, guiding, mentorship, etc. And we are in, you know, talks with several other, um, you know, quality companies Mm -hmm. uh, and investors who would look to, you know, continue to associate with us. Mm -hmm. So obviously uh, a further investment from a company such as Batik um, uh, enables you to to expand. I mean, obviously you're in, you work across other parts of the GCC anyway. Um, Looking looking ahead, what do you see as the development growth of the co- the company um, and the network, not only within the GCC, but possibly wider wider afield than that? Do you think there's a uh, possibility to that? Look, absolutely. You know, one could really grow this into several other countries outside GCC as well. Now, the way we approach uh, uh, the business is we are really developing a local business, solving local problem here. Um, you know, there are some synergies of doing it somewhere else as well. Uh, but, you know, we have a limited bandwidth, limited resources, mm-hmm. and we want to channelize all our resources solving at what what's in, uh, you know, in front of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Truckin is not a company which has come international from an international, you know, uh, environment. Mm-hmm. This has been purely uh, thought through, developed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here, understanding and solving the local problems. Mm-hmm. And that is what we want to focus on mm-hmm. because the market in GCC itself is like very, very big. So we feel that, you know, at this point in time, we are better off uh, focusing our energy and resources in tackling all the issues which we, had, we have in mm-hmm. hand here. Mm-hmm. But yes, over time, we might look to further grow out yeah, as well. Yeah. Now, before you launched Trucking, you were um, uh, a very successful um, investment banker, effectively, weren't you? And uh, Well, banker, certainly. Um, what was it that, that made you um, give up what must have been a fairly comfortable life to, to, uh, to jump <laughs> into the, the rigors of startup? Yeah, look, um, you know, banking certainly is a, is a pretty um, good job to have. Mm. So I've had like, you know, over a decade experience uh, doing investment banking uh, initially in New York and then in Dubai. 
And I think this pretty much just happened by chance. It mm. was never, and you know, going from banking to logistics was, you know, probably not even there in my mind, uh, you know, remotely. Yeah. But it was around 2015 end, um, and I was pretty much at the crossroads of my career where I had to really decide that, look, if either, you know, banking all the way or shall I try and do something? And when you look around in the Middle East, in UAE, it's an exciting place. You know, it's a young country with so much opportunities and you, you know, you see around between your friends and associates. It's it's really, you know, a land of opportunity from mm -hmm, that sense. Mm -hmm. So I felt the timing was right to take a chance. And uh, while exploring the subject matter of logistics, I think once we spotted the opportunity, uh, it was just too big to be missed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we just wanted to seize the opportunity and, you know, go all into it. Uh, so I would say, you know, from the timing perspective, it was more coincidental than, you know, planned. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that uh, I, I find interesting about what trucking offers is that it's, it's, it's multilingual, isn't it? Um, it is. Which seems, you would think, well, Surely language isn't particularly a problem. But as you have explained before, that, uh, that you know, you have such a range of different languages from truckers in particular. Mm -hmm. um, was that at the very start of, of the idea that it, you had to, to, to enable that uh, facility? See, throughout, while I was exploring and doing my research, you know, validating the gap in the market, my idea always was to, you know, create a solution which is flexible, mm -hmm. you know, rather than going and pushing a solution to someone, it has to come naturally, mm -hmm. right? So the initial part of the research was a lot about understanding what are the needs uh, in the market, right? And, you know, clearly in the Middle East, when we see around, especially from the truck driver community, we have a lot of them, you know, coming from, you know, Asian side, right? They are from India, they're from Pakistan, a uh, lot of drivers from the regional community around here. So you really wanted to, you know, make it as flexible uh, a platform as you can, mm -hmm. which would, you know, help facilitate business for them. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that is true even now when we approach any sort of, uh, you know, development or, you know, our approach to the market has always been rather than pushing a product as to what we build mm -hmm. is understanding what the market requires, how is it going to make their life better mm -hmm. uh, is something which we want to build. So the flexibility is extremely important in terms of anything you provide, right? Um, and similarly, from customers' point of view, you, you know, the trend, if you would notice, has been omni-channel, right? Mm. Rather than pushing that, okay, you can only do it via online or via offline. Today, the customer really wants an omni-channel presence, mm -hmm. even for like simple things like grocery. Mm -hmm. uh, some people would want to go to a supermarket to, mm -hmm. you know, feel the stuff mm -hmm. and buy it. Mm -hmm. Or some people would want to buy it online through mm -hmm. the app or through the web platform mm -hmm. or via phone call. Mm -hmm. So really creating that omni-channel gives you the flexibility and ease of, you know, adapting into something new. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the culture and approach we want to follow. And I mm -hmm. truly believe that, you know, as much flexibility as we can build uh, while creating efficiencies into the whole supply chain mm -hmm. is probably the name of the game the in go, the future. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, looking ahead to the sort of the wider uh, sector of, um, of haulage, um, Obviously, over the past couple of years, we've had um, developments in what's called platooning. Um, you know, where where trucks will travel in convoy, um, 
effectively chained by um, uh, data um, connections, i.e., the lead the lead truck tells every other truck behind it where to go, what to do, and what's happening. Um, that sort of throws up a, 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 the potential of you know enormous trains of trucks traveling vast distances. I mean, what's your take on on that that kind of development of of the the hardware technology development? Look, I think it's too early to explore that in this part of the world um, so far. You know, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Um, but yes, with you know all these advancements and innovations, and you know thinking about you know how we can further imp- increase the efficiencies, will absolutely go a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people who used to send material by one truck load now they look for you know a bigger truck size, uh, you know, uh, coupling of containers, mm-hmm. etc. Is mm-hmm. pretty much you know a classic example of how you are increasing the efficiency uh, and reducing the cost by increasing the you know asset utilization. Uh, so similarly, you know, those things would work out, but there are certain challenges and uh, um, also along with that, especially in this part of the world, mm. uh, because unlike uh, some other countries where the distance could be traveling just within the country, mm-hmm. uh, GCC is, you know, it's a combination of several countries. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. every time a cross-border truck goes, which is, you know, kind of every day, which mm-hmm. we are sending, you are changing the countries, Right. So when you have two vehicles going, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the regulations, mm-hmm. et cetera, the visas, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are a lot of things mm-hmm. which are around there, which needs to be solved mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, do the platooning. Uh, yeah, so, of course. And the the the, the assumption is if, if it's going to work GCC-wide, the assumption would be that all countries adopt the same, exactly. uh, the same technological uh, approach to it. Which, which is exactly. And this is what is amazing because, you know, probably not many people appreciate the challenge of operating here, you know, mm. uh, unlike some of the larger countries mm. that here, although, okay, we are based out of UAE and we are in Saudi right now and, you know, hopefully we'll grow to the other GCC countries soon. On a daily basis, we are dealing with like, you know, several jurisdictions, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, which yeah. its own government, own currency, you know, own regulations. And and that has been, you know, an exciting journey to learn. Um, finally, to to um, to take you back a year to when we last spoke, um, I, I said, uh, described um, your approach uh, as being the latest example of a technological disruptor. And you were not pleased with that term at all. Do you still see yourself not as a disruptor? And if so, why? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was almost ab- ab- around the similar mm. time frame and when we were speaking last, uh, Christian. And yes, I do not like the word disruptor um, specifically for our case. Because as I said last time, you know, the you know when we look at things or solving these issues, we are not here to disrupt anyone's business. Mm-hmm. We are truly here to enable, to make it, you know, act as an enabler, to make the systems much more efficient and much more powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing for the shipper and for the transporter likewise. So clearly we don't look at us as a disruptor, but rather than, uh, you know, but we look at ourselves as an enabler. Mm-hmm. And... I think that is what we have been doing over the past year. And same time last year when we were starting out, you know, we had barely done anything. And today we sit down and we say we have, you know, we proudly can say we have done over 6,000 cross-border shipments. And hopefully same time next year, we would have a much higher uh, uh, numbers and, you know, better things to talk about. Yeah. Well, it looks like it's going that way, JD. Um, And many thanks for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. 
So that was uh, Chris uh, Nelson in conversation with the trucking CEO, JD. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, uh, thanks for being with us Pleasure. this week. It's a good conversation. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty more uh, news to catch up on uh, in the next episode. Um, join us again, please. And thank you, thank you all of you for listening. Uh, please uh, download this uh, podcast and others um, on Apple Podcasts, our website, thenational.ae, as always, or wherever you get your content. Uh, hope you're enjoying the summer and join us again next time.